0: Let me invite you now to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Matthew, chapter 1. And the words to which I would call your attention uh, this morning are come to us from verses 1 through 17 of the first chapter of Matthew's Gospel. Give attention now to the reading of God's inerrant and infallible Word. The book... Of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. David was the father of Isaac. I'm sorry, Abraham was the father of Isaac. And Isaac the father of Jacob. And Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez the father of Hetzron. And Hetzron the father of Ram. And Ram the father of Amminadab. at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliud. And Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So, all the generations from Abraham to David were fourteen generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon. 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you that these words are inspired and perfect in their inspiration. We thank you that you called men to write them down for the good of your church and the encouragement of your people. We ask now that as we give attention to the preaching of your word, that you would Strengthen and encourage us, we pray in Christ's name, and for his sake, amen. Well, how much do we love genealogies in the Bible? Uh, Genealogies, personally, are very popular, aren't they? Uh, uh, You've probably gone back on Ancestry.com, and you've discovered all your royal heritage, um, how you're probably coming into some unclaimed money because of it. Uh, These are all good things you've learned about those particular ancestors that you sort of hide in a closet. You don't mention those. And think of all the ways that you don't copy their behavior. I've yet to run into someone whose life verse was, and David begat Solomon. But here it is, in all of its glory... At the beginning of Matthew's gospel, he places a genealogy. Now, for those of you who love genealogies, this really, this really stirs you up and, and you're thinking, wow, this is, this is amazing. This is fantastic. But for many of us, especially as you begin perhaps 1 Chronicles, you're thinking, I'm, maybe I'll skip ahead to chapter 8. But Matthew places it at the beginning. Isn't that interesting? Instead of at the appendix, for those who really love this kind of Detail. Why did he do that? What's the importance of this? Why start us off by reading these names that are difficult to pronounce? You're saying, surely that wasn't the correct pronunciation of that name. What does this have to do with at all? Is this even preachable, teachable? Surely we should start at verse 18. But the prophets repeatedly promise a coming king, a king who will vanquish enemies and bring peace to the people of God. How do we know who he is? Matthew opens his gospel of the kingdom, showing this, that you Must accept Jesus as king if you would have him as savior. Jesus' genealogy demonstrates one thing He has the divine right to rule. He's a king, but He's not any king right there in Israel you have to have certain stock you have to have certain dna running through your blood as it were in order to take the throne you you don't take it by coup some tried it is given by divine right So Matthew gives us some very important details. Look in verse 1. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And each of these words has importance, doesn't it? Jesus, the word Joshua in the original Hebrew, means our God saves. Christ, it's not his last name. Some of you maybe have tried to trace your name to the last name Christ. Surely we're connected some way back. It's not a last name. Christ means anointed one. Some of you, if you're reading from the NIV, you have a different word there, don't you? It's the word Messiah. Christ, Messiah, all mean anointed one. One who upon uh, Himself has had something poured out. Well, what is that? What does it mean that Jesus is the Christ, the one who descends from David, the one who descends from Abraham, as Matthew points out. As we go on, he will use this same term in his gospel 16 times. It's very important that we understand that he is Christ, the anointed one. It occurs here in the incarnation of Christ four times Once, with reference to his work in chapter 11, and then ten times after Peter's profession in chapter 16. Do you remember it? You are the Christ. So here, at the very beginning, in the very first words, Matthew's not not just trying to get his rhythm here. This is not Snoopy sitting on the top of his doghouse saying it's a dark and stormy night. The very first words are packed with meaning. And if, listen, if you miss the first words, you're going to miss the whole gospel. Through and through, in these 17 verses, Matthew is telling you to identify one thing. Jesus, yes this man that you saw walk among you, this man, Jesus, is a Davidic king. You must see him as a Davidic king. The whole passage points to David. Notice in verse 17. So, All the generations from Abraham to David were how many? 14. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14. Why does Matthew pick and choose which people he would put in the genealogy of Christ so that it would equal 14? Well, David's name is made up of three Hebrew consonants. D, V, D. Dalet, four points. Vav, six points. Dalit, four points. Equals 14. The generations themselves and the number is pointing to David. But then uh, Matthew narrows it down to three sets of 14. Why the three sets? Well, in the first set, we see the rise of the Davidic kingdom from Abraham. Uh, Abram called in Genesis 12 out of nowhere, belonging to nobody, called to start a nation, given promises from God himself. This is the origin of David's house and so it ends the first set in verse 16 and verse 6 and Jesse the father of David the king in the second set we see the rise and the decline of David's house David giving birth to Solomon and then to Rehoboam where the split in the kingdom took place and then finally to the deportation to Babylon and captivity for the kingdom. And so you know what the last set is. It's the eclipse of David's house. There it goes into the gloom that we discussed in Isaiah chapter 9. And so at the dawning of Matthew's Gospel, at the nativity about which we sing, at the moment that that happened, it was a people dwelling in abject darkness. The first thing that Matthew seeks to do in his gospel is present Christ Jesus to you as a king. There are references here to the reign of David. Why? Well, because as we think about a Davidic king, what do we think of? All these promises right to David, 2 Samuel chapter 7, that on the throne of David, sons would sit for how long? Eternity. Well, don't you think, don't you know that when Christ was born, the people at that time were scratching their head? Where is the fulfillment of this promise? In Psalm chapter 89, verse 4, again, a reiteration of God's promise to David. What do we have? Your sons will reign forever. Where is that? Can you you feel a little bit of that today? You perhaps aren't looking for a Davidic king this morning, but you maybe at some times wonder, who's reigning? Who is running this whole show? Israel was too. And so Matthew had one objective as he opens his Gospel. He must show that Jesus is the Christ Christ. This is the sign to Israel uh, that here is the reign of the Davidic king, right? We, We looked at Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. What will rest upon the shoulders of the Christ? Government. Chapter 11, verses 1 and following, what do we find? A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. So if you want to disprove that Jesus is the Messiah, you have a very simple task. Do you know what it is? Show that his bloodline does not go back to David. If he doesn't have Davidic DNA, he's no Christ. And so, the genealogy of Christ doesn't occur for us as an appendix in Matthew's gospel, right here in front. Matthew is laying it down. This is the gauntlet Matthew's saying. You want to show that he's not the Christ then start by showing me that he's not descended from David. I'm telling you he is. And brothers and sisters this seems like long ago and far away. We have evolved so far. We live in a democratic republic where everybody votes for himself and enjoys perfect freedom. Who needs a king? Kingship Understand this, kingship is central to the work of Christ as the Messiah. Turn with me to 2 Chronicles, if you've got your Bible, it's in the Old Testament historical books, 2 Chronicles, I want you to turn with me to chapter 36, I want to show you something. The reason I'm having you turn to 2 Chronicles... ...is because in the Hebrew Old Testament... ...it doesn't end with Malachi... ...or some of you may prefer the Italian Malachi. It ends with 2 Chronicles. Why is that important? What difference does it make? Well, let's notice how the Hebrew Old Testament... ...would have ended for Matthew. 2 Chronicles 36, 22. Now in the per- first year of Cyrus, king of Persia Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. Close the book. End of Testament. Now, as Christians, you understand that 2 Chronicles 36 turns over to a new page. And what is the new page? It is Matthew and the genealogy of Christ. Cyrus, a pagan king, Declaring to us he's been given authority over all the nations. And he's looking for one to do what? This one who would come and rebuild the temple of Jerusalem. Rebuild the temple. And we turn the page and Matthew's declaring to you, the one is Christ. Christ is the one who will rebuild the temple. He's the king. And in fact, you think about Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. What do you find? A repeat. Of Cyrus words only this time one who can speak them truly all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth go therefore and do what build the temple of God by sharing the gospel making disciples so Matthew bookends his gospel with kingship but some of you Perhaps you're still shaking your head, scratching your head. What? I, I get it. Okay, I'm convinced. Jesus is a king, right? He 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 descends from David. He descends from Abraham. Big deal. How does Christ, if he is a king, reign? How does he do that? Two ways. First, he reigns in your salvation. And second, he reigns in your sanctification. Christ reigns in your salvation in that he, he, he is the one who has risen right from Abraham. And think about, think about the promise now to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 verse 3. What did God say to Abraham at that time? In you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Where's that blessing going to come from? How will he bring that blessing to the people? Christ is the seed through whom this blessing comes in redemption. Think with me for just a second about the Lord's Prayer. We prayed it just a moment ago. And we went through that. And one of the prayers, one of the petitions that we made was this. Your kingdom come. Well, what does that mean? when we pray, your kingdom come. Well, it means that we're asking the Lord to bring us into the kingdom and others and to keep us in that kingdom. We acknowledge that by nature, we are under the dominion of Satan. You understand that. At the moment of your conception, you're not a free spirit. You're not a party unto yourself. You're not a self-governing person. You are under the dominion of a kingdom and the kingdom is that of Satan. If you doubt me read Psalm 51:5 I was conceived in iniquity So the work of Christ as king is that he transfers you into his kingdom He does that as a king exercising his divine power to pull you in and make you his own We think in American history, we take pride in the fact that we can trace our roots to a harbor in Boston. And there were men there who were so brave, so courageous, that they would stand up to a king and they would say, you know what, we're not going to be taxed unless we're going to be represented there. And standing on their shoulders, we think of America as the place of self-made men. But there are no self-made Christians. There are no self-made Christians. If you are in the kingdom of Christ, it is because He, exercising His divine right, has brought you in. And therefore we worship Him. But Jesus also is King in your sanctification. So by nature, now I can get some amens here. By nature, we are a self-willed people. Thank you. If you don't believe that, visit with any three-month-old. He gives me the amen at the right time every week. Sanctification means this. Seeking and obeying the will of Christ... Again, this is what it means to pray, thy kingdom come. There are two ways in which the kingdom of Christ comes on the earth. One is we think, okay, we'll, we'll see the kingdom coming in that people will be converted to Christ and, and the church will grow and the influence will grow and we'll see governments looking to the law of God and implementing the law of God and men will reign justly and righteously and we'll see an end to evils such as abortion and racism and classism and all these things. That's the kingdom. But remember, too, that the kingdom comes in in you. Some of us need to stop looking outwardly at the coming of the kingdom and start looking inwardly. What do you mean, Brian? Repentance and faith is not something that you did years ago. When Jesus commanded in Mark 1.15, he said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand, meaning I'm standing with you. Repent and believe. He said to them, be repenting and be believing. In other words, the markers of those who belong to the kingdom of God is that they are repenting and a believing people, and that's what marks them out. So, so, so the question to us then is this, where, where, and if you're honest, I don't have to ask you um, Is there an area where Christ is not king of your life? I I can ask the question this way. Where, where in your life is Christ not ruling? Some of the starkest words in Scripture are in Matthew 7. Jesus said, in that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Did we not do this, 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 and this in your name? And he will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And you see, here's the thing. They're going out, they're doing all kinds of things for Christ in the name of Christ, maybe even preaching Christ, but they never took a moment to say, am I submitting to Christ? Am I looking to His law? Many, one area where I will challenge, especially, I I think our youth and and children is in this area. In the age of social media, here is my challenge to you. That as your king, you should crave the praise of Christ more than you crave the praise of the world. Many, uh, I've spoken to one young woman, who was cutting herself and causing herself to throw up. Do you know why? Because she didn't think she looked good in the eyes of the world. But do you understand that if you are in the kingdom of God, you crave the praise of Christ more than you crave the praise of the world. It's not about Instagram likes and Facebook fame. Who cares if you have an influence? The, what matters is if you are influenced by Christ. Is His kingdom growing in you? That's what Christmas is about. He came to exercise dominion. So, you must accept Jesus as King if you would have Him as Savior. As our King, Christ graciously subdues us to Himself, not by a sword, not by warfare, but by the working of His Spirit within us. He resuscitates us and gives us faith. He frees us from the condemning power of sin. And when the end comes, you know, here's the best part. Uh, Randy saying, It is well with my soul yesterday. You know what the beautiful thing is that? He says, When Christ shall appear, he, he, it is well with my soul. There are many, listen to me, there are many, when Christ appears, are going to be struck with fear, and it is only the citizens of the kingdom of heaven that when Christ appears can say, It is well with my soul. Hallelujah. What a king. Amen. Let's pray. Father, as we take a moment of perfect honesty with You, every one of us will admit that there are areas in our life that we're not submitting to Christ as King. And we ask You for forgiveness for that. Because we know especially when we sin publicly, that it brings dishonor upon Christ our King. But we thank You. Thank You, Father, that You do not repay us according to our sins, that Christ has borne all of our sin debt for everyone who comes in faith, and that You've received us as sons. Father, convict us now where we are not complete submission. Show us our sin. Let us deal with it here that Christ might not deal with it there. We praise you in his name. Amen.